Hello, welcome to Chucked, Season 2, Episode 2. We are going to talk today about refreshing ourselves, deepening the creative pool, and uh, no matter who you are, this is going to be relevant to you. I'll take it away because uh, this one flows out of a personal questioning you have right now, a personal Mm -hmm. frame of reference, interest. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about what we... Uh, what you have to say about uh, this topic, I believe you're an expert on the matter, and I believe your your resume says so, speaks to that. I'm in a very busy season with work right now. With the uh, length of material I need to produce, it uh, doesn't always seem to fit into the length each week provides from uh, the daily copy duties around Southbrook to bigger writing projects for upcoming videos, writing Super Bowl weekend material, and even larger bulks of work due this year, uh, prepping for and writing a piece to read and the weekly Chucked episode tends to get forgotten until the deadline demands it. So so there I was, Monday morning, standing at my dimly lit stand-up desk in an empty office due to the MLK holiday, a cacophony of Mets surging in my Apple ear pods per usual when I need to bang out a lot of words in a short amount of time, I shoot the last of my triple tall Americano and stretch my ten digits across the keyboard like a pianist. I courageously stare into the one-eyed monster that is a blank black screen which mocks me with a blinking blue vertical bar and nothing following it. I then realize I'm absolutely idealless. Like Oli's, I'm totally shocked by the arrival of a deadline. I have no idea for an engaging topic to consider and write about for the upcoming Chucked episode. Each week I usually investigate nearly every headline from the New York Times, NPR, Medium, ESPN.com, and Twitter. However, this week, no topic prompted my interest. Certainly not enough to face the gargantuan and terrifying task that is typing words. I lower my electronic desk and sit back in my chair. I consider skimming through the hundreds of quotes on my computer from authors I admire, quotes about the craft. But I already know what Lamont, Bukowski, and Franzen, and Hemingway would tell me. Just do it. Start writing. One word at a time, bird by bird, all you have to do is write the first word. So I did. And then I stopped. I stopped because I thought about writing something funny. But I didn't feel funny. I don't think I'm funny. I don't think I'm what you would call as a funny person. I can't imagine my wife or friends ever picking that word to describe me if giving ten to do so. But I do feel funny sometimes, and when I write funny things, I feel consummately satisfied with myself. But I didn't have an idea, much less a funny one. I almost started to write a joke about why internet is spelled with an I as opposed to an E, but I realized how drab it already sounded, and I assumed I was just misinformed and knew if I researched it, I'd just end up with dry eyes after an hour in the hallway of doors that is Google, so I didn't write the joke. Any of you can take it and run with it if you want to, but I don't think it has much promise. When I'm lacking ideas, I uh, usually listen to Bob Dylan and pray to God. Dear God, it's me, Austin. Save me from this creative desert I've long suffered from for the last 35 minutes. My well is deep and dry. Then the prayer sounds more like a child's letter to Santa towards the end. I'd like to be smart, funny, and intellectually stimulating and deliver such things in good, clean writing, please. Thanks. (laughs) Maybe there's some kind of pin number for prayer, I think. I think of my fifth third pen. 
My pen has something to do with my social security number, which is probably a bad idea, but changing it would require more numbers in my life, and numbers make my brain stop working. I can recite from memory poetry I read a decade ago, but goodness sakes alive, I couldn't possibly remember all the arrangement of numbers modern civilization requires and is expected, um, as I'm expected, to remember my Apple ID every time juveniles in Silicon Valley log me out of it just to have a laugh. Maybe if there is a pin for this prayer, it's gratitude, like the thanks Jesus offers in the sixth chapter of Mark before his miracle. So I begin, thank you, God, for my, this, your cup of green tea. And with that, I stop praying. I listen to Bob Dylan when I'm stuck because his catalog suggests anything but idealistness. I assume this isn't true. Surely even the immortal wordsmith Dylan also suffered such melodramatic 35 minutes in the growing shadow of a deadline's hulking figure, but I just imagine him stepping into his peg-legged jeans, wrapping in a pea coat, embracing himself for the wind heaving down Houston Street on the hunt for a conversation and a buzz at a nearby cafe, and eventually finding a few characters in a good story. Via Spotify, Bob Dylan, live at the Philharmonic Hall in 1964, now sings The Gates of Eden. I think of Steinbeck's East of Eden. It sits to my right on my bookshelf. I think of Steinbeck in his office, not writing, looking out the window over a gray sag harbor, Long Island's furthest reach into the east, far from his birthplace in the dry Salinas Valleys of California. How many cigarettes would he roll staring through naked trees that decorate the cold water shore? How many times would Charlie, lying near his feet in and out of a nap, open his eyes to the two o'clock direction as his aging owner carried on a very one-sided conversation that was more of a stream of consciousness? distracting his mind from wonderlust, avoiding the truth. He knew he'd never see the Pacific again. The condition of his heart and the COPD wouldn't allow him and his dog any more trips. So, he would not write. I think of the two movies I saw at the theater Sunday night, Spielberg's The Post and Sorkin's Molly's Game. How do Spielberg and Sorkin continue to produce such great material time and time again? Well, hopefully I'll find out soon enough, as I'm currently in the middle of my Aaron Sorkin screenwriting class. Reclining in my theater seat, digging into my Edie's cookies and cream ice cream cone during the beginning of the second movie of my night's double feature with my wife, I thought, heaven can wait. I think that's a good thought to have at the right times. Spotify switches over to Dylan's Nashville skyline. Girl from the North Country may be one of my favorite songs, especially when it's cold out. Go listen to it if you haven't. I've never felt like it fit on the album, but it's Dylan, and it's sang with cash, so it works. I crave a piece of chewing gum. However, I intentionally don't have any. I'm trying to chew less because I regularly chew over a pack of extras polar ice a day. I don't know if this is bad for me in some way. It probably is. There's always some new study in the media about how too much of something kills a part of you physically, and that's not to forget about the theories you're bludgeoned with on the reg about things killing you spiritually, too. What brave creatures we are to live. Thanks to new studies, I feel guilty just for sitting down at my stand-up desk. Who's conducting these studies anyway, and are they trying to frighten us? I can't wait for the day when a new study suggests that the accumulation of new studies is the chief cause for our nation's growing anxiety epidemic. There's probably going to be some new study about how breathing is bad for you. Haven't heard that one yet. It's probably being conducted as I speak. I can hear David Muir's voice now. Coming up on ABC News, a new medical study claims breathing more than 30,000 times a day is a new smoking. Stay with us.
Oh, uh, no thank you, David. I'd rather change the channel to Bubble Guppies or Paw Patrol and ground myself with universal truths and principles such as two seahorses plus two seahorses equals four seahorses, or helping a friend when their boat is stranded in the water is the right thing to do. People have often told me I'm a deep thinker, and I've always felt offended by this title. I think it's meant as a compliment, or just a ploy to lengthen their part of the quid pro quo so they have time to sort out and answer whatever the hell it is I'm talking about. Two reasons why I take offense to this are former people I've met, and I would also assume are given the deep thinker title, seem to just say things that sound philosophical for social impressions sake and are actually masking their insecurities in vague so manner and idea of speech delving into uneducated existentialism that honestly just makes them sound baked without the nasally tone. The other reason, I don't think my inner dialogue reflects much amount of depth at all, as I've demonstrated for the past five minutes, um, is when someone says to me, I'm a deep thinker, I, I, I mean, well, actually, I'm thinking about the kind of pants Bob Dylan wore, and if it's possible to chew too much gum, and we'll later probably think about it, can you cook a good meal picking exclusively food based on color theory alone? Such train of thought does not reflect what I would call intellectual depth, nor do I think it's compliment-worthy. So here I am, an hour removed from my drought of ideas. The Velvet Underground's optimistically melodious Sweet Jane made its own way to my ear plods. And as a simultaneity of instances will allow, I think I've inductively arrived at an idea for discussion. For the last 30-some years, you have produced roughly 1,000 words of compelling and convincing material concerning the most written about and controversial subject with the intention to promote the security of tens of thousands of people's salvation and do so within a deadline that comes every seven days. And oh, by the way, if your content and delivery is either incoherent, predictable, contradictory, irrelevant, too smart, not smart enough, wrong, and or boring, you almost instantly lose a very critical audience's business. So I'd like to have the discussion from the perspective of, say, when you were starting out and speaking and teaching and leading, and from present day. Because as I've heard you say, there really is not a subject or story or passage in the Bible that you haven't taught on by now. So I'm sure your creative preparation and rhythm has changed because of that. One reason, uh, creativity aside, I want to hear you talk about this. It's personal for me. I personally want to hear it. But, um, but also, there's not really a message that I haven't heard you give before. However, in recent years, you seem to have had some kind of creative relaunch or self-reinvention. Weekend after weekend in the last few years... <laughs> I hear you teach on such on things in, in ways I haven't heard you teach before. If anyone can find something you teach predictable, it's me. But I've been caught off guard. Strong base, your message this past weekend is a perfect example. I was shocked and intrigued by how you took the Philippians passage and uh, did with it what you did. I think this will benefit those of you in the workplace. Um, not just in creative work fields, as creativity and ingenuity is, um, it betters any field of work, except maybe accounting. I don't think people would feel safe if they heard their accountant say, hey, I've got this really creative way of doing your taxes this year. <laughs> so I want to talk about your process in, in, in production, the practical sides of it, and the philosophy kind of behind, behind that. Um, so start kind of starting with a practical. What um, what does the what in the say 1995 or something in the mid 90s as opposed to today? What what was the preparation like week 
to week. You just, it's Monday. Okay. First of all, you are a really funny dude. Oh, thank you. And, uh, I th- right now I think so because I wrote a few things in there that I thought were funny. Yeah, you are. And a funny I felt dude. consummately satisfied with dude. myself. I have had privilege of being around you most of your 27 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you you're a right. funny dude. Yeah. <laughs> took you a minute. <laughs> took me a minute. <laughs> The older your kids get, the more that number loses its relevance. Um, mm-hmm. And then you are really, you are a really uh, deep thinker. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm the guy you're talking about, who's, <laughs> but you are. Maybe you think a lot deep, more deeply than than. I mean, just it's just great. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and depth is thinking about Bob Dylan's pants. You know, I think there is some. There's, there's, there's the requirement of depth that takes to even think about that. Is or finding something green that goes with a tomato. Maybe. There you go. There you go. So, yeah. 1995. That's really interesting that you ask that because uh, our church was exploding. And there were three of us on staff. And so my preparation then, and it's part of the reason why I'm better today, our pre- my preparation then was desperation. It was always defensive preparation. Okay, what am I going to read? What book am I going to read? Go to Books Books and Company at Town & Country. Find something that's really creative. Read it, and it'll help stimulate something. And uh, in case that doesn't work, listen to something that Bill Hybels or Bob Russell or John Ortberg has done on a subject and if there's something I can... Mm-hmm grasp there without the internet without the internet spelled with an i yes spelled with an i and so preparation was much more difficult i had a you were a four-year-old sinner i had you had a you had a five-year-old sister angel angel yeah (laughs) yeah And you guys were, you know, I mean, you're, you're raising a family, and the church is just like ninety four, ninety five for me was was batting down the hatches. A storm is here, you know, because I, I just remember people coming who had needs. Oh my gosh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Paul Wilkins wasn't on staff then, and we didn't have. So I did so many. I, mean, I was literally setting up the chairs on Saturday then. You think that doesn't eat into your preparation? So I can look back on those. I was actually looking this morning at, at a message I did from 92, so similar era. And, you know, I, I honestly, I could probably take that message today and redo it, and it was, it was, it was pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. But the necessity of growing a church, that preparation was crazy because we would bounce right back on Monday mornings and we'd start having meetings again. And, you know, so when I got to Friday, and it still is today, there was still just a lot of preparation to be done. The difference was in 95, we didn't have a Saturday evening service. That changes your life. We started that in 98. Mm -hmm. And that is, that, you know, just essentially take one-seventh of your day away or you know 95 Notre Dame Ohio State game yeah there you go yeah you got those things that you didn't miss back then (laughs) because you didn't have Saturday service right yeah Eddie George in his Mm -hmm. 
Great crop run. top. Yeah, and Terry Glenn running away from the Notre Dame secondary. I digress. Um, so preparation was more defensive, whereas if you contrast it to today, it's so much more offensive. So instead of, hey, is there any water in that pool for me to draw from and, mm-hmm. you know, give to thirsty people? Today, I am, through skill, experience, and, and then just the lack of complexity of my role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm on a 168-hour-a-week preparer for what I'm doing in the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, the leadership series that Jordan and I designed that we're in right now, or the competitor series, I'm sorry, that we're in right now, I mean, I've been preparing for that for six months. Mm-hmm. So I that just didn't, you didn't have the tools then, I just didn't have the time then. So it was scrounge whenever I could to get time. And really defensiveness, that would be the, that would be the antithesis of creativity, right? In, in, a, in a sense, like, yeah, you know, shielding yeah. off, you know, things or um, the, your day, your time. That would... Doesn't sound very um, conducive for creativity. Well, help me, God can be real creative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you go, Still oh, looking for that God, pen. help me. You know, now, having said all that, I mean, even today, I still have just about every week, here it is Wednesday today, and I still haven't found the hook for this weekend mm-hmm. that says to the halfway interested person, I need to listen to this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always looking, what's the hook? So I go through almost every message is a teaser, create tension, what does the truth say, what's the take home, and then the together, what are we, you know, together, what are we going to be? And so that tension hook, I didn't have to really worry about that as much in 1995 because it's a different world. Not today, if you don't have that hook, you know, people are checking out. It's interesting, you, you chose a style of teaching that certainly not the easiest style. You didn't set yourself up for success with, I think, that style of, of inductive teaching. Um, what I read was intentionally written that way, you know, with, you know, listing stimulants or methods or whatnot to get to this topic, writing it inductively as, as kind of um, an homage to how your sermons go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, would, I would imagine that you, you could have certainly chosen a style of teaching that was far, would have been much easier to prep for. And maybe yeah. not better in the delivery. Inductive yeah. is certainly more engaging and compelling, but um, your the preparation would have been a lot easier, I imagine, had you not... Well, yeah, number one, speaking to a church audience, all you got to do is just string one scripture after another, and that's really deep. Boy, is he biblical. You know, he's biblical. He and they got their veggies. Well, Jesus didn't even do that. Mm-hmm. Jesus told stories that, pow, the truth exploded in people's minds. So if I, oh my gosh, I could so I can look at a text and I can spin out a snappy little alliterative three-piece, three-part, three-point sermon, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that, wow, that's deep, man, man. he went to seminary. He did. He went to seminary. He can do, he alliterates. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And then, and then, so deductive messages to churched audiences are not hard. Deduction is, here's the truth, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Whereas inductive is, 
let me guide you into a journey, and then we come to the conclusion, oh, oh. So my whole thing is is inductive. It is mm-hmm. inductive. And you have to earn that right. You have to earn the right to be listened every week. Mm-hmm. You're only as good. You're not, you know, people say, you're only as good as your last game, your last sermon. No, you're not. You're only as good as this one. <laughs> hmm. And that's why I, I know, include my mentor, preachers of large churches that speak weekly to just such diversity, not a single one of them say, boy, I miss that pressure that I used to have mm-hmm. when I was doing that every week. Was it, was it your, I know you, it's, it's your favorite, the prep and the speaking is your favorite part of the job in present day. Was it your favorite part of the job in 95? It was, and that's what was so hard for me is the tyranny of the urgent got in the way. You know, I was trained under Bob Russell, and my 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 uh, college professor Bob Stacy, and they you know they just so it just I loved the preparation I loved the study I loved the reading I loved the you know even beyond preparing sermons and delivering them I love designing series hmm. and seeing an incarnation take place of you know nothing on that screen becoming something that becomes life changing for people. Hmm. And uh, so I, did, oh yeah, and so this tension of being a leader that I'm very missional, very causal, and I, I want I, I want to grow this church that reaches de-churched people and unchurched people, and and that was definitely in conflict with man. I love study. I love to teach. I mean, you've heard me say today, I I'd teach more. Mm-hmm. I would I would love to teach midweek. I would love. I mean, I would just I just love that. It's not really possible to do it because of the demands. My job is simpler, but it's more heavy than it used to be. Even you know, you just mm-hmm. it's the world has changed so much. And I was reading a quote from George Barna, the sociologist, this morning about how it was. He, he wrote this in 1992 in Frog in the Kettle, and he said, "Oh, year ministry in the year 2000 is going to be nothing like ministry in the year 1992. Changes are taking place at such a rapid rate in the world. Oh my gosh, this world's so different than it was in 2012. Hmm. Yeah, so different. And I, 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 I'm stunned, truthfully, at at how much it's changed. So that changes communication and." It changes the again the the pressure. It's just it's real. It's mm-hmm. not just something I make up because I have high demands on myself. It's very real. People a lot more mature and people that I know who could be president of the United States if if uh, you know they wanted to be, uh, which may not be as high a demand as we used to think it was. But uh, the, the I mean they they'll say the same thing. Boy, it's the pressure is is real. So mm-hmm. would you say you're something you said made me think of it would you say your process and your preparation is more I think there are in, in people who are in the, in some kind of creative field of, of producing things and um, it was involved in the creative process they they kind of go on one or two sides of either construction or deconstruction as far as how they s- philosophically see their work what do you Obviously, you're you're you know you're teaching on the scriptures, right? 
There's something there you're going off of. There's this message that is non-existent, that is your part in it. So where do you, what side of that do you lean on, destruction or construction? Well, I, I think they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. So when you have been nurtured in a certain tradition, if you you're, you know, not, not a single tradition has it all figured out with Scripture, with the Gospel. We don't. We see through a glass dimly, and I would say narrowly. So you approach a text, there's always, for me, some deconstruction that happens. Like, undo it. Mm-hmm. Um, this past weekend was a great example. Well, a great example. That, yeah. It would be a great example. You know, 20, in 1995, when I taught on that, and I think I probably did teach at some point around that era on Philippians, it would just have been about religion versus his transition into relationship. Mm-hmm. There's another layer of application to that, and that is the personal transformation he went through from being a very transactional person to a very transformational person. Even while I'm saying, he admits, I don't have this all figured out. So even Mm -hmm. when I say that, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't complete. He admits as much in that passage. But I think through experience, then I'm able to see another layer of application to that. Okay? Okay. Gary Sweeten says it well. I think maybe he's quoting someone when he says, through the Bible I learned psychology. Through psychology I also learned things about the Bible. What he meant by that was, you know, sukos, the soul, psychology is the study of the soul. So when I look at Philippians 3 and Paul saying, all those things I considered as important to me, I consider now rubbish that I may gain Christ, I see a whole psychological level to that. And you took it to such a sociological level of, mm-hmm. of how we interact with be- people and coach people, our coach to lead, and mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I certainly say that that the you go through the decaiusine and in the in the, his Jewish credentials, you're deconstructing, and then you constructed it to this place of right, um, right of well then what you know well that's great if Paul is you know um, not into what he was into in his twenties. Who was mm-hmm. at their mm-hmm. their forties, mm-hmm. <laughs> and what he believes now, right? Because you you know, yeah. but you know, what does that mean for us today? Um, what uh, and so for us, that's why I shared the Julia Rozovsky story of mm-hmm. here's a direct application of the impact of being around and being a transactional person versus being around people that don't have something to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what's interesting is is that message was one of my favorites. Okay, so if you said, you know, we preachers have our favorite ones we do. That one last weekend was one of my favorites. I could do that one a lot and never get tired of it. But candidly, a very churched audience would say, well, I didn't really go that deep with it. Because I didn't parse Well, I just everything. told you the meaning of your life, so... Yeah, exactly. So, but but the, it would, you know, and that's the difference. It's the difference is... You know, in this place, our depth goes, like that depth did go to a soulful, sociological application. Every single person in that room, I'm very confident, had some application if they wanted it to take from that. Mm-hmm. And, and you had, you know, in a very, a very churched audience, that wouldn't be considered deep. It would be considered psychobabble. Mm-hmm. You know, what you call psychobabble, I call soulful. It makes the soul of the person listening at, at a place where they're living. And 
that's one of the reasons I love communicating here because our people, they don't need Christo babble is what I, you know, like mm-hmm. churchianity. They want what, what is going to impact my soul mm-hmm. that transforms me by the renewing of my mind. And, uh, Last weekend was a was a classic example, something that you know, I love doing. Now, the important thing that I, I think that came with that is I, I listen to Jim Nance do this on football broadcasts all the time where he'll make connections. You know, broadcasters have to make these connections. You know, so-and-so has this in line with so-and-so. And to, and to really creatively connect with the audience today, you have to do the same thing. So one of the reasons that was one of my favorite messages is it included – a story of me being thrown out of a basketball game, a story of P.T. Barnum and the song in The Greatest Showman from now on with a parable from Ravi Zacharias about a rich man and his son, all in application to Philippians 3. What's the connection in all those? The connection in all those is is being transactional or being transformational, being a person with nothing to prove, with being a person who has something to prove. So I think creatively communicate today, you've got to, no one saw Greatest Showman illustration coming, mm-hmm. right? In a series about competition where the preachers talked about basketball, you don't see that coming. So you, you know, I mean, to really ooh, snatch the audience, you have to say, hey, I'm a sucker for Broadway musicals. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's how that applies to you. Mm-hmm. Because that song, I mean, it just drills everybody there. Yeah. I got so many texts, man. You just drilled me with that song because that's me. You know, I lived for the applause of kings and queens. Mm-hmm. You know, the man that I became. Yeah. The, uh, going back to what brought this topic up for me um, was... Um, staring around in my office and not doing anything for a while, um, being stuck. As we sat down to record this, you, you had told me with your laptop open that you were, you didn't have, you didn't know where you were going yet and finishing with this weekend's message. What, um, what did you do formerly in the nineties when you were creatively blocked, when you had writer's block and what, and, and, and what did that look like then? What does that look like now? And what were your methods for handling it then? What, were your, what are your methods for handling that now? Well, back then, I was still addicted to information. So the more information in a message, the better the message is. So the, like, if you looked at messages back then, I could probably, if I worked real hard, boil it down to one statement or one sentence. Mm-hmm. But now, if I don't, if I can't boil it down to one sentence or one statement, I'm not stepping up there to talk. So there's a big difference. And back so back then, that's why there was so much pressure and so much panic because I kind of in my mind equated rich information and just pouring my you know, five-gallon bucket of wisdom on the people and what I've learned this week and what I've studied and pouring that and hoping some people can guzzle a little bit of of that wisdom down. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, even though right now I don't have the hook, 
if I all I have to do today, I'm gonna have time this afternoon to work on it now because I had a meeting canceled. But if I today just coming up with one statement, that's enough. I could get up there and I could talk. You know about that. What's the what the you know as we call it the sermon in a sentence. Hmm. So the fact is, fact is, if you if you can't boil it down to a sentence, they're not going to remember what you say anyway. Mm-hmm. They're not. Just just too much information flying at people these days. Your your remedy for being stuck is an objective. It's a single it is. It single is. direction north. It's a single point that yeah that. And so I imagine that some of that has to come. It can't come within the chaos, right? It has to have come before that. You plan your series out in advance, mm-hmm. and, and it sounds like that's, um, that's what you have a, you have a, a lighthouse that, you're, that's, that you see through the fog, even though when, when you're stuck. So, so I guess anyone that's stuck out there that forgot to do that, you're just screwed, and you don't, yeah. <laughs> you don't have yeah, much of hope. Really good way to stop. It. Just stop doing what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Well, how have you maintained um, such fervid longevity with this part of your work, not, you know, I, I know there's obviously this, this, um, this greater, um, what do you even call it, you know, for the kingdom type thing that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're preparing, but just the, the day, the daily grind of, as I said, you know, you, you've got to pump out all this, um, this material and compelling and for a very serious cause, um, how have you maintained the, um, you know, that what I've seen in it is you're forcefully laying hold of, of your work. Mm-hmm. And how have you maintained that longevity, you know, for, yeah, for the people I, that, are, that are in the same business they've been in the last 10 years and will be the next, next 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, out there? I've simplified it. Like I said, that goes back to it's easier to do it now in one regard because I've simplified it. It doesn't need to be three points of brilliance. It can just be one statement. It helps. Are you not trying to achieve multiple things? You're just trying I'm to achieve not, one thing? I'm not. I'm not anymore. I used to even. I mean, there was a sense in which you were trying to disciple people and connect with people at the same time. Well, now I'm not doing that. I've realized that Christians and non-Christians alike are both human beings. Hmm. And really, you know, now, in that moment, I'm trying to help people. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to convert you. Really, that's not my first... I'm trying to help you. Because Jesus went around helping people. Lived in the complexity and the demand of everyday life. The, the terrific demand. And so it's really, I'm just trying to be helpful. And when you're helpful to people, they'll come back and listen to you again if they found that the first time it was helpful that they listened to you. Mm-hmm. So it's simpler in that way. You know, I, I think it's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be communicating. I have so much at my disposal. You know, I, uh, through the internet, uh, through, I mean, I just, I read so much. I listen so much. I have so many ways that I stay creative, as you know. You know, I do. I think there's been a cause and effect behind the last um, seven or eight years having my basement that I go to, and I just create stupid, crazy stuff down there. Mm-hmm. It really sets the mind on autopilot. I think there's a correlation there to loving what I do because I do disconnect from it. And yet when I'm disconnected from it, I'm not disconnected from it. There's something going on still in that creative process. 
I, but I think reading a lot. Um, maturity is underrated. Uh, I always wanted to be a person in my 20s. I wanted to be a person who really, really loved people, and God answered that prayer. Mm-hmm. Like part of it is I really, this ain't me. I really love people. Mm. There are very few people I don't like. Mm. Very few. You want me to tell you who they are? Sure. Okay. Um, that's interesting. I don't. <laughs> I just. I, I mean, that's part of the fuel. Mm-hmm. Like I genuinely. I, you know. You know me. I. I, I'm, mm. I work with these students. I come home every Wednesday night after having class with students that I, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm pumped. I'm, I. I get excited about preparing for that training, their mental training. And I'm pumped because I just, those kids are great. They just make, they just think, they give you a hope for humanity when you're around these dozen junior high and high school kids that I didn't know from Adam before I started doing this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's that. And I think you have to be wired for it. I'm really wired to create series, create sermons, and deliver them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm just really wired that way. So I've honed it. They can't underestimate this. There's no doubt I saw a shift in the ten thousand hours. Mm. When I when I I estimated that if you include preparation and delivery, in two thousand eleven I I hit the ten thousand hour mark. I saw something. There there's just a click that happened mm-hmm. in the ease with which preparation comes, the clarity with which preparation cl- comes, um, comfortable in my own skin. You know, used to, I'd speak three weeks, and I was like, well, I'm tired. Now I could, I, I, I could go a long time and not get tired. So that 10,000-hour rule, mm-hmm. it keeps the love going, I think. You get better at something. Yeah. I wish I'd have gotten good at, as good at golf as I'd gotten at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly, you know, I don't, that's not a prayer I've ever prayed before is to love people more. I probably should, but I shouldn't do things out of guilt, so I probably won't today, but... Yep, don't um, shut on yourself. Uh, you said something that... Uh, I, did, I mean, I wanted to love people, so yeah. if you want to love people, you will. No, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Um, I, love the, I love the people I should love, yeah, so I do you, should a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, is it really love if you should love them? <laughs> well, you know, I. Um, it is actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I'm, I'm not going out of my way to love yeah. people. Like. Now, now, well, well, now. Here's the thing. As soon as I say that, something will happen this afternoon where I realize, oh man, I completely mm-hmm. fell off the wagon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have some mm-hmm. interaction where someone, you know, you know, pisses me off really badly. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> I, I, I fell off. I just didn't choose to get back on a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, something that's. I think about um, you have this this thing that's mindless that you play and you um, you do in your workshop and um, how does that how does that balance out with discipline if whatever an individual's playing thing is that refreshes them how does that does does the balance come from just maturity of knowing when when discipline is when and then when when play is and when you're doing too much of yeah, if I can't, I know this, if I played to the extent that I can't get adequate preparation done, where I feel good coming off the st- stage on a weekend, then I, then I know that would, that would be dishonoring. 
I haven't put the best lamb on the altar that day. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, it's a little different because if I'm downstairs working on something, I'm also listening to a book or I'm listening to a podcast. So it's kind of cool because I, the work I do, I can actually be playing and I'm also, you know, growing. I just finished mm-hmm. listening to Ronald Chernow's book Hamilton for the second time, Alexander Hamilton, the book on which the Broadway musical is based. Mm-hmm. So in the last few months, I've listened to that, and I've done that while creating, you know, all these football projects and uh, this Hilton Head model railroad project that I'm doing, you know. I mean, just so I get to work while I'm playing. I don't know if there's a better way to create than that. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, I mean, that stuff just stick. I'm an audible learner, first of all. Um, but that just really sticks. Um, does that answer your question? Absolutely, yeah. yeah I um, but I can't, I can't ignore the, the... It never felt like discipline to me, first of all, to sit down and read and think and write. And it's just always felt like play. So it's hard for me to... You know, people say, how long does it take you to put together a map? How much work? Well, 168 hours a week. Because it's just mm-hmm. my life. It's the way I see everything everything filters through how could that be a point of communication an illustration whatever so everything's that but it didn't feel like work so i, I don't know you know I, I joke about how i've never had a real job mm-hmm. you know i just because it i've never taken a real job seriously <laughs> good for you but i think that's part of also what keeps it renewing is it's it is fun for me I, I i and you know me i say that i mean i have a hangover every sunday monday mm-hmm I am, the world is coming to an end. I'm quitting. I can't keep doing this. Because it's a fail job, too. I mean, you really, essentially, you fail almost all the time. Mm-hmm. That's your objective. So, I don't know, you know, then I, then I you know, I, I've never made decisions on Monday. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it just, you know, you're so screwed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen me on Sunday afternoons. What did I just do? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. about every Sunday afternoon. And then you have to watch the Browns. Then I watch the Browns and it's, what yeah. did I just yeah. do? Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It is. It's tough this year. Whew. Whew. Mm-hmm. To lose on the weekend and then you go and you lose on Sunday afternoon, too. Yeah. Losing all the time. Losing all the time. Yeah. I think it's the thing that people would know, you know, a preacher or whatever, is how humiliating the job is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't say that loosely. It's humbling. It's, some, it's humiliating a lot, too. And... Because you just, I don't know, to do it well, you got to be vulnerable. And, and, and you know, I mean, for the most part, you don't get much of a response. You just yeah. don't, you know. You do a good job, you're supposed to. So you shouldn't get a pat on the back for something you should be doing. That's well. exactly right. That's yeah. exactly So it's just, it's just unique. You just, you just have to know that at the end of the week, when you step off that stage, I laid the best lamb I could lay. Mm-hmm. So when and do you know you you had you, you've had a success? Is that is that it? Is it does does at the end of your deadline in the hours before the next one starts? Essentially, um, when does your awareness of success or failure come from yourself and just how you well, feel about you what know? You I, just so did. every week I I watch it, so I evaluate it, which is. Like, go ahead and pull my tooth from my mouth and put it back in the next week and then pull it out again. Mm -hmm. It is. It is just, you know, I'm not above that. I'm not impressed with myself. I mean, like, I know I'm good at what I do, Mm -hmm. but I'm not impressed. Like, so when I watch it, 
Oh my gosh, that felt a lot more effective in the moment than it looks as I'm watching it. You know, because I, I and I'm not, and it's not like I'm hypercritical. It's just, oh, that's not impressive at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I have people tell me, "Well, it's not your content; it's your delivery that's impressive." I look at it and I go, "Man, I'm not impressed by the delivery at all. I really like the content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I really like the, I really like the content." And we live in an era when delivery matters every bit as much as content now. Mm-hmm. It didn't used to be that way, but now now it's the case. Yeah. And and what was I? What were you asking? Because I want to answer that. I got. Well, when do you know your? Oh, when do I know? Was I clear? And does it come from yourself? Your yeah, yeah, it has to. No, I'm still a sucker for fishing mm-hmm. for compliments. So I'll, I'll I can you know I I, I need some feedback. Yeah. So I ask your mom. You know, it was good. It was, all, it was all good. It was For those all of good. you who don't know, whenever he asks, I've, whenever I've heard him ask mom <laughs> She'll what that. she thinks of his message, it, it, her her answer is always, it's all it was good. all good. It's all good. It was all it's good, all, all good. of it. It was all good, because which is pretty accurate, honestly, because she writes Every word down notes. Like um, she, she does. Like all I would have to do is take her note mm-hmm. sheet and go, oh, It was okay, literally all good, that. because every word made its way <laughs> yeah, to the back of her program. I, I, you know, I... I yeah, God bless her. She just she, she knows how vulnerable it is. She's the nicest person I've ever met, and so she's no way I'm ever going to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd have to twist and pull to get any kind of critique out of her. That's why I've had for many years people in the audience who I just say, I know you don't have a, a an axe to grind. Mm-hmm. You don't want people evaluating you. You have axes to grind. They're trying to prove something. I've got I've had people that they don't have any axe to grind. I know if they say something critical. It's because you know it needed that, mm-hmm. but you do you know you do need some feedback. For me, if for myself, was I clear? Was I compelling? Was I compassionate? So that's like the checkpoint for me. Mm-hmm. If it's you know clear, it's got to be clear. If it's hazy in the pulpit, it's foggy in the pew. <laughs> okay, I mean if you are not clear, on, and I and there's moments when when I walk on, I go, boy, that was I never. I never got clear, you know, like there was a lot of good stuff. Oh, that's just the worst feeling. And then, you know, was I compelling? Was it interesting? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's about humor. Sometimes it's just about, was it, was it compelling that, it, you know, it drew people in? And then, you know, was I compassionate? Because I always regret the times, you know, there have been times I've spoken and I was angry and I know it came out sideways. Mm-hmm. And uh, things that I regret are going over on time. I I am plagued with the five minute curse. Seems like I always go five minutes longer than I intend on going. Mm-hmm. But the the other one is is the times that I, I can I can tell you sermons. I could tell you sermons that I spoke in two thousand and four or something, and I was angry. Mm-hmm. I could name the sermons that I was I was angry and it came out. And, oh, I, it's the worst feeling to walk away, knowing that you're you're destructive emotion not that anger is a destructive emotion but my management of anger was which came out and I used that in the worst kind of bully pulpit type way mm-hmm. uh, I hate that. now I don't do that as much anymore I, you know God has broken my heart and I'm going to err on the side of compassion now a lot more I don't, I don't walk I, it's been a long time since I've walked away and saying boy that was that was angry um, so those three for me are, I, I could walk away last week, the last two weeks actually. I was clear. I think it was compelling. It was interesting. 
and I was compassionate. I'm, I'm truly trying to help us all compete in a way that honors God, honors our children. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're, we become transformational people ourselves. So, What I hear in this is you have these methods for getting to your one point, for your method for the craft, you, you have personal parable and present, and for yourself you have to be clear, compelling, and compassionate, and this leads to this compass that points north within your, um, your creatively blocked weeks, times, and seasons, or busy seasons. And um, I brought this topic up today because primarily... Uh, I clearly needed it, and not just my fourth piece of gum at one time, um, but I needed something more to um, answer some questions I had, which is a lot of how this comes about, is I just have questions that I that I want to hear the answers to from you personally, but I think they have benefit for a listener. I hope this benefits um, the listeners today. If you are in the creative fields um, or not. If it, you know, if you're married, you need this. Because mm-hmm. one of the worst sins you can commit against your spouse is get boring. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just, their marriages die of just, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you too. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, be creative. Be, be innovative. Renew yourself. Grow. That has its own set of complications. I think my wife would say I'm pretty boring a lot. I really do. I think... I, I, think... I don't think boredom is going to ever be your problem. I would disagree with you. Ask that. McKenzie, I think. I know, I know. But, but, six days a week plus yeah, one. Is I know. <laughs> you're, you, you have, uh, like, like you're like me, I mean, my life's very structured. I'm simple in particular. So I am simple in particular too. So it's structure. You know, my life's pretty structured. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, even if you're not in the creative field, you're an image bearer of the creator. So to feel alive, there has to be renewal. There has to be growth. There has to be challenge and spontaneity and you know and I and I just, like for me I'm so afraid that I'm going to be around here a long time and 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 then you guys are going to come in and say man you need to leave you're just not creative you're not, you're not connecting anymore mm-hmm. so I fear that but I so love what I do that I'd have to find someplace else to do it because I'm st- I'm more alive now than I've ever been in my whole life mm-hmm. and Sherry benefits from that you benefit from that you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm just really alive. Now, it may have something to do with my thyroid wasn't working years ago, and now I take a thyroid pill every day. So I, I always kind of feel like I'm cheating a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, ever since I started taking that thyroid medication every day, the sky is bluer, the grass is greener, the air is clearer. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know. You know, God uses that too. But, yeah. Um, yeah, even if you're just, you're not even in a creative field, be creative as you mm-hmm. can be. Well, I hope uh, the listeners got as much out of this as I did. I certainly benefited from it, and uh, we hope to speak to you next time on Shucked. Mm-hmm.